This is the Real Estate Shop, where each episode will bring you a top industry expert to share their current programs or projects that are making an impact in our communities today. Be sure to check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Hi, good morning. How you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good, good. Morning, so Carmen. Good morning, Kervin. Do you, uh, do you know Kervin? Uh, no, I have never had the pleasure. I think she okay. knows my wife better. She's oh, wow. Fargo, oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> well, that, that changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> It's always six degrees of separation, I tell you that. Wow, wow, that's amazing, know, okay. Yeah, Every, everybody knows your wife. I come like, prior to you, Kervin, I don't, I, I, mean, I didn't know your wife, but apparently she's pretty uh, well known. Yeah, she's a busy bee, so. Got it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> we, we love her, she, um, you know, her, her work with us on those, our kind of our start was with BOA in the multifamily uh, new construction world so we go way back so uh, she, told, she told me to tell you hello carmen oh thank you <laughs> good morning good morning and welcome to the real estate shop today we had the pleasure of having carmen romero ceo and president of the affordable partnership for affordable housing arlington arlington partnership for affordable housing uh carmen thanks for joining us just to get started what is your background and how did you get started uh, in your current position well, first and foremost, thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. And to answer your question, I'll jump right in. My background is in finance. I uh, went to undergrad at Georgetown, worked for a few years uh, in a banking program that was um, predecessor to Bank of America called Nations Bank. And after a few years, went back and got my MBA in finance um, up in your neck of the woods, Stephen, in Philadelphia. And coming out of there, I decided I really wanted to be in the D.C. area where um, I had fallen in love with the region, bought Georgetown, and went to work at Marriott International in the finance um, planning and analysis group that supported the CFO in five-year forecasting for the Marriott conglomerate. Um, so it was, a, it was a boutique group, a nine-person group that would work with, with him and his office. And I really, from there, met a, a woman who later hired me to go with her to a division of Clark Construction that was starting up a real estate development group so that in addition to construction, they could do rezonings and public-private partnerships and, and structure deals and you know take the land down and the rest. And it was while I was at Clark, I went to a ULI panel the state of um, DC real estate. And I saw Nina Janapal, the former CEO of APA on the stage, talking about this nonprofit that was doing affordable housing work. And I have to say, I sat with that for three years and three, and I just kept thinking about, wow, I, I think I would really enjoy that. And three years later, I took her out to uh, to uh, coffee to pick her brain and, and that changed my life. I've been here uh, over 12 years ever since. Wow, that's amazing. And what's the mission of the organization? Uh, it's it's good that you should ask because my board just adopted a new um, mission statement as well as our first ever vision statement as part of our strategic plan last month. So our our mission is we exist to provide quality, affordable housing and residence-centered programming to help our residents make the most of their home. And, and the vision that is coupled with that that we're really excited about is 
Everyone deserves a place to call home, a foundation to live their dreams. And why that's so important is everyone deserves a place to call home. We believe housing is a human right. And as part of our mission, the, the key piece there is we provide quality affordable housing. So we are developers, we build the housing, but we couple that with resident-centered programming, i.e. resident services personnel. So out of APA's 50 employees, 18 of them are in that social work, navigation, resident-centered programming to make sure that people have opportunities from cradle to career to have for housing stability, for health and wellness. Excellent. So how many units does uh, OPA have and, and what's in the pipeline? Uh, we have 2,300 homes today that house over 4,000 people, 4,800 people, 500 units under construction. We have four projects under construction as we speak, and we have another 1,500 apartment homes approaching closing. We have a closing, our first in D.C. next month, and um, we have some uh, another closing this summer in Arlington, and then a very, very large closing in Fairfax at the end of the year. How'd you guys decide on the Fairfax and D.C. expansion? Um, it was really a function of realizing Arlington's a 26 square mile jurisdiction. It's the smallest county in the United States. And we have built such capacity in, um, at APA. And we realized that there was such regional need for affordable housing that, that the boundaries of Arlington weren't really enough to full, fulfill our, our, our mission. Mm -hmm. And so in, I mentioned this last strategic plan that was passed last month. Well, the prior strategic plan, which we adopted in 2017, we said to our board, we, even though we're the Arlington Partnership for Affordable Housing, we want to look into and talk to and, and commit to at least trying to go regional and seeing if, if, if people are receptive to wanting our help, other municipalities. And it's really been a, a wonderful experience to, to grow outside and, and become more and become a regional nonprofit. Yep. We've learned a lot, and like I said, I, I think we now have two projects under construction in Fairfax today. We acquired a, a building in Montgomery County, and, and we're closing on our first roundup deal in D.C. next month. Terrific. Um, you know, a lot of developers have the aspirations to grow beyond uh, being a local development developer. How has APA done it to, you know, to scale your organization? Is it through JV partnerships or one deal at a time or through RFPs? Um, I, we in Montgomery County was an acquisition, so we um, were able to preserve and extend the affordability in a hundred percent housing choice voucher property that was okay. mostly family. So we got lucky there. I'm going to be honest. That okay. was our first kind of non-Virginia deal. And then the other um, developments in DC was in a, we are in a JV with EYA who put out an LP. We responded. They selected us. They were doing a townhome project and they had an affordable housing um, component of the development. So we are partnering with them there. Same thing in Montgomery County. We partnered up with Edmondson Gallagher where they had the project, but they hadn't done a lot of LIHTC work in Virginia. So they brought us in because of our expertise in understanding the Virginia program. And then all of our future deals since then have been solo deals. So we got kind of our toe wet with some partnerships and then we were able to, you know, get a little bit of a lay of the land. And then our, you know, our sweet spot has been new construction. 
So we've we've purchased um, land recently in Loudoun County to do a two-phase project at the end of last year. And we've, you know, uh, in, in Fairfax, we have done some public-private partnerships where we competed for public land, which is also, I, I think, with with being a nonprofit, I think we align pretty well with the jurisdiction who's interested in long-term affordability, mm -hmm. lower AMIs, permanent supportive housing elements. And that that really has, you know, I think served us well as we try to introduce ourselves to the jurisdictions. Got it. For the benefit of um, the folks out there, um, I mean, Arlington is pretty affluent. Uh, the area itself, um, rents are high. Uh, how are, how has Oprah been so successful, I guess, over over the years in prioritizing affordability? And I guess does that speak to um, the, the you know, powers of being at the political level that prioritized it? Or were you able to just kind of carve that niche out in a very you know, affluent uh, area? We do have a really strong advocacy community in Arlington um, where there are, you know, and there's also political will. I have to say that the, the leadership in Arlington, both the staff leadership as well as the elected leadership, believe strongly that you know Arlington is um, you know the victim of its own success. I guess you can say, right? People are getting priced out. We've lost a lot of our affordable, natural affordable housing as a result of that. Uh, housing prices, I think the the um, average assessment for a single family home detached is over 1.1 million in 2022. Mm -hmm. But there's also what has, I think, saved us or what's made all of this possible is at the same time, we have embraced as a community smart growth. And so 72% of the Arlington population lives in multifamily. Mm -hmm. And so along the Roslyn, Boston metro corridors, along Columbia Pike, and the, the, the county has been very aggressive around planning for that growth mm -hmm. and affordable housing being a big part of that. So they, they give you both the planning tools, the density tools, but then they also invest through a very robust housing investment fund that they lend money out of, that they you know are able to take um, contributions that the developers that are building the office buildings and the luxury market rate, you know, deposit into, and then they aggregate it, they lend it to us, and we leverage it and build units. So I think that has been how we've had it done, the combination of political will advocacy with the tools, because you can't do it. All the FT in the world isn't going to work if you don't have zoning to build the units or money to fill the gap. It has to all work together. Yeah, for sure. And as far as that, uh, I guess, subsidy money that they do have, is there a maximum dollar amount per deal that they um, dole out or make available? Uh, not per deal. I think it's per unit. I think it scales up and down depending on how many units you're bringing to bear. I, back in, you know, kind of pre, you know, pre-rising cost days, maybe that would have been in the mid-70s, but now it's probably more in the $100,000 per unit range, right, as TDCs have continued to increase. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and, you know, Arlington's a fairly desirable place to to live because you're so close to DC. The schools, right. the public school systems, uh, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 um, in most cases. Um, and just thinking about the resident base, 
there. What kind of supported services are you guys uh, providing as well? We went from having a four-person resident services staff at the beginning of the pandemic, and we're now up to 18. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what the services were during the pandemic were around basic human needs. How do we keep people housed, right? How do we get the rent relief that was coming through the um, you know, kind of all the COVID funding that came to the federal government mm -hmm. in the hands of our residents? And we, you know, had extended the moratoriums to allow us to work with individuals. So it was housing stability, eviction prevention. That's always the first and foremost. The second um, is around food insecurity. And so uh, we, we do food distributions um, and we are going to be launching a pilot and creating an on-site food pantry at APA because food is even becoming more and more expensive. We, we can't, the food distributions aren't enough. People are hungry and it's only getting worse. So that's where we're going next. Education, we do, yeah, I mentioned we have 4,800 residents. Half of them are in the age of 25. So that means you had a lot of learning loss during COVID. You have a lot of out-of-school time. And so we did everything from launching summer camps um, to having after school uh, tutoring help so we can help get people back on track. We launched um, as part of one of our racial equity diversity inclusion initiatives, a, a Latinx college um, access club so that we could help parents who had language barriers who maybe had documentation issues, access to tools they needed to help their child go to college um, daycare subsidies. I mean, you name it as it relates to kids, you know, reading clubs. And then for seniors, we had, we have probably 250 seniors here in, in Arlington, but a lot of our pipeline is now senior housing. So the first, first two projects in Loudoun are senior housing. Our first project in BC is senior housing. Um, and the two projects we're delivering today in fair that are under construction today in Fairfax are senior housing. So those also require a whole different host of, of programs for the seniors. And they, they're 62 plus, I imagine? Yes. Okay. Excellent. One of the things I tell um, a lot of the younger folks that I talk to, what distinguishes market rate deals from these tax credit deals is just the amount of sources it takes in a tax credit deal to fill a capital stack and make it work. Uh, can you speak a little bit about some of the sources um, you all use for your um, projects and, you know, if being a nonprofit mission-oriented developer, does that avail you to some of the um, foundation money that might be out there that's not available to a, a for-profit uh, developer? We do. I mean, typical, our typical stack is, you know, the hard debt, the tax credit equity, and then the mass debt that we get from the county. Beyond that, we have been able to secure um, on special deals, we, we ran a $4 million capital campaign to finish out the stack on, on one project. And that was our first veterans project. And we thought, okay, the veteran community, there are a lot of foundations or a lot of groups that are interested in helping that subset. And it was the first in Virginia. So we were able to complete that. We had um, Ron Twilliger, who was one of the founders of Tramaco Residential, um, made a $1.5 million gift for that. Amazon gave a half a million as well to the capital stack there, and we used that to create some 30% AMI units. And the rest were foundations and uh, major donor individuals. 
that was the first time we did a, a philanthropic campaign in a capital stack. Hmm. Then um, I would say, you know, we, beyond that, typically we have not you relied on philanthropy, uh, but because we, you know, it, we want to be able to move a project forward. So we really do, we, we realize relying on a big capital campaign where we're not sure if the money's going to come in extends, you know, the, the time it gets. So typically our philanthropy, we target more towards can we re reduce rents. So maybe we underwrote initially as more 60s and 50s, but if we can do a philanthropic campaign after we get the capital stack set, we can maybe reduce the first mortgage and lower rents before we get to closing in that, you know, one and a half month period before we place the service. That, that's a good strategy. I know you mentioned Amazon, and I'm sure some of our listeners that probably perked their ears, uh, certainly Kevin and I are aware of the role Amazon has been playing in that area. Can you just briefly speak to, I guess, you know, why Amazon is out there? And I, I know they are players in um, funding affordable housing, but I don't think many of our listeners are, are aware of that. Sure. No, I, I think Amazon has, has been a game changer for this region and um, as well as at Seattle and Nashville, I think where there are other target markets. They launched a $2 billion um, housing equity fund at Catherine Buell um, and Senthal Sankrin. Um, she recently stepped down, Senthal uh, is taking over and they are investing uh, in affordable housing in both acquisition as well as new construction commitments to create I believe it's 10,000 units over the, the bear markets. And they have deployed a, the line share of that already. And we are working with them towards, um, they are, they've committed 55 million to APA to close on 500 units of new construction in the Tyson's Corner that we will be uh, breaking ground on at the end of this year is the goal. And those, and, and that is, truly what I would say is an accelerant. Every, as I said, our capital stack relies on gap funding and the counties are tapped out. So with Amazon's funding, we were able to accelerate what would have been a two phase project into one very large impactful 500 unit deal in Tyson's. Tyson's nice. had 100,000 workers in Tyson's and zero affordable housing effectively. So, you know, it's projects and it's funding like Amazon that can really hopefully inspire other big employers to do the same. Yeah, if you look at Tyson's now, it's like Disney World. You know, it's a bunch of new office buildings, uh, luxury apartments, hotels. It's really, um, it's really different. Um, that's pretty cool that you guys are bringing affordable housing to that community. Uh, there's a lot of moving pieces right now in the economy with interest rates, and we've got a just heard our third, you know, a third bank just went went under, uh, which is uh, First Republic out of San Francisco. They had large presence in New York as well. Um, given the the moving parts, how how is Apple looking at at partners from like a, a debt side? Like how are you guys evaluating that and making changes internally? Well, you know, if any changes, right? If any changes, I'd say we've always been conservative, um, and we have a very robust. In addition to you know, this APA staff, we have a 26 person board of directors and a finance and ops committee that includes, you know, my board chair is the chief investment officer of a publicly traded company. We've got 
bank presidents that sit on our, so we, we have an executive committee um, that stands by my side, ensuring that we look at all the terms of, of our, our debt as a, as a team and go to them for their approval and resolution and support. And they have, you know, their market intelligence that they're able to um, share with me as well as my team to make sure, even though we're a small nonprofit, that we have access to some of the best minds in just mm -hmm. commercial industry as, as, it, as it is. And we, we tend to work with the big banks. Historically, you know, our investors have been, um, you know, uh, Bank of America, Capital One, through syndication, Truist and others. And that has served us well on, on the investment side. And then, you know, our cash and our balance sheet, um, we also ensure we, we lean on kind of insured, very secure, maybe lower returns, but we're not gonna take any risks with, uh, with our cash, especially in a market like this. Gotcha. You mentioned Nina's name earlier when we were first just um, having our water cooler talk, just catching up. And um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I used to be Nina's banker. Uh, my first career out of college was uh, the relationship manager for App. Oh, uh, wow. That's back in like 2010, 2009. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Come full circle. What'd you say? So you go way, way back. Way back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, she she's amazing. I mean, um, when she retired two years ago and she would reflect on those early days, you know, before we had even our, our first solo new construction project and how cash was tight and you know better yep. than yep. you. Yeah. You know, there were moments, there, there were moments. And that, you know what? And it's now that we're kind of back in a cycle. We, we don't ever want to go and forget what that was like. And so mm -hmm. myself and the board and our staff are deeply committed to managing through this and being conservative and protecting APA at all costs. While you're on growth and, and organizational development, how, how are you recruiting talent and, and thinking about where APA will be you know, in the future? Yes, that, that is one of, I mentioned we talked about our strategic plan and one of our five goal goals was to be an employer of choice. So what does that mean for us? It means, you know, compensation and benefits that are, that that we we understand the industry, we've been looking at comps, that we're not underpaying people and overworking them to burn out. We are, you know, doing professional development investments. Every member of the APA staff has a professional development path and, and growth. We um, are ensure that we have a diverse workplace. So, you know, our senior leadership team is equal parts black, Latinx, and white. And mm -hmm. ensure that that reflects who our residents are. And we have a, a staff racial equity diversity committee, as well as a board staff racial equity committee we hired a company to do a racial equity audit to speak confidentially to every single one of the APA employees to say, is APA really walking the walk in terms of how we say we want to show up for an employer? Where are our pinch points? And then we know where we need to work. So I think all of that is how we're going to recruit and keep good people because people want to feel valued, invested in, compensated, 
but then you they want to they want to work for a place that is authentic and is living its values. And it's pretty powerful that you guys were to bring in a third party to do that, right? That says a lot about leadership that we really do care. We want an independent voice to let us know how are we doing. I think as an employee, that speaks volume as well, volumes as well, to see that happening and and to be curious. I think you'll you'll naturally be curious to see what happens next. Like, okay, this firm's really about about what what the mission is. That's pretty pretty powerful. I appreciate it. Kudos to you and your team for that. Thank you. Sure. Uh, you said something that kind of sparked another question. You mentioned um, cash and balance sheet. And I know when we do talk to uh, not just our younger developer, but even the developers that we've had on the series, you know, guarantees, network, liquidity, typical challenges that they seem to still face, even though eventually they overcome them. For OPA, I guess in the early days, were you able to, um, or actually basically ask how did you overcome those challenges? I don't know if it was from, doing enough joint ventures until you finally had the balance sheet or were you all pretty well funded, you know, from the start? No, we, we definitely struggled. I mean, I think when Nina first came on and Kirvin knows better than me, there, there was no capacity, which is why we hadn't really done our own deals. We, our first deal was with the JV where they could post all the guarantees. This, the, the first out of the ground deal, Arlington Mill was with Bank of America. And we from there the balance sheet's really been developed through developer fee these the new construction projects um have given app a fortunately developer fee that we've been able to use to grow the balance sheet and that's where we are able to then take use that money for pre-development as well as to post letters of credit as well as the the guarantees that we need to to, to do it i will say one really great thing that happened Last year was APA won a $5 million capital magnet fund award for the U.S. Treasury. And that was the first help outside of our own blood, sweat, and tears of a developer fee to bolster up the balance sheet, which was great. And we, um, you know, would love to have that happen again. I know it's it's a source that's highly competitive. And cap, but I think capital is and cheap capital is something that, you know, it frankly hinders us. We, we could even do more, but for those limitations. I, I would also um, just wanted to touch base on, because we've heard some real hard stories uh, with regards to projects that were under construction through the pandemic period with the supply chain uh, supplies. Um, heard some real nightmares about debt getting resized uh, on the perm loan. Um, negative tax credit adjusters because it was just taking too long. How did you all fare during that time for, for stuff that you may have had already under construction? I have to say we we were really, really fortunate. All three of our projects um, did really well. Um, Queens Court, which was our biggest project ever, um, was halfway through construction when COVID hit and that delivered pretty much on schedule. Uh, another project, this was interesting, we closed May of 2020, so right after the pandemic hit. And that was rough. I mean, I think investors at that time, and it was a large, a large deal, a 160 unit veteran deal. And Apple was in for 5 million of pre-development that we had to get to closing. 
And we are very fortunate that our investors stuck with us. Um, that was um, NEF, Cap One. And they said to us, well, to close, we want to see you buy out the whole project um, because we don't want supply chain to come to, to hurt us down the road. And we were complained and we were, and our contractor, we've never done this in 40 years. This is insanity. It actually saved us. We had savings on the job at the end of the, the deal. Um, we relatively hit it on time. So don't don't tell Cap when I said that, but it, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we won't we won't have Cap One on. We, we already had in the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, um, Carmen, where do you see uh, APA from, you know, from a development standpoint in the next five years? I know you've entered Montgomery County, D.C., Fairfax, you're in Arlington County. What's next? Um, well, again, you really hit this question at a really timely moment with our five-year plan. We have to figure that out because we have to plan for what we would look like. And our goal is to have 7,500 units um, either under ownership or under construction at that point and we're 2300 today so okay. that means you know we're looking at tremendous growth some mm -hmm. of it's the acquisition a lot of it'll be new construction we have about 1500 so we have the 2300 units today 500 of the construction 1500 that we want to close on in the next year and beyond that the following years and it's all going to be in the dmv Okay. We feel like we have a lot more work to do in the in the three jurisdictions to go deep. Um, and you know, long, long term, that'll be the next plan. But for the next five years, that'll keep us busy. Nice. Not, just real, I mean, I think for us, you need to make big investments in technology, in accounting, in property management and asset management to make that kind of growth successful. So while we're looking for deals, we're also trying to invest in in that and in the bench because, you know, that that is we don't want to compromise on the quality and on and on the health of the organization in the process. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Got it. So I think that pretty much wraps us up, Carmen. We certainly appreciate you stopping by the shop today and talking shop with us on the real estate shop, and uh, much future success. You know, it's a small industry. I'm sure we'll bump into each other, you know, as folks are now out and about now that the pandemic is somewhat behind us. So thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you in the future. Thank you both. I'm honored to have been um, invited. Good thanks, ahead. Carmen. Bye. Good seeing you. All right. Yeah. Another day at the shop. Content they can't get anywhere else.